You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there, I want to invite you back towards a seat. We're going to be diving back into our message series through the book of Acts in Acts 15 today. I want to thank you for your graciousness as you listen to my nasalness. I'm on the back end of a cold, like many of you, and it has manifested over the last couple of days and making me sound special. Uh, I've also had uh, the last couple of days, my cough has gotten interesting. And so I have a monogram towel that was given to me just for this purpose. So don't take it because I've been coughing into it this morning. As we go through the book of Acts, uh, we've had several uh, times where we stopped and paused and probably one of the more significant theological pausings happens here in, in Acts chapter 15. And the reason for it is there's a, a, a debate that has arisen within the church on what will it take for people to receive salvation from, from God. And up until this point, the church had believed that you needed just to believe in Jesus, but there was some unwritten things as well. And those unwritten things were that people would also be circumcised, the men would, and that they would keep the ritual Jewish law as well. That was kind of a given. And this kind of went out the window when they began to reach out to the Gentiles or to the non-Jewish people, the Greeks, and share the message of the gospel good news. The problem was made a little bit worse, if I can call it a problem, when the early church began to experience divine interventions where God himself would pour out his Holy Spirit upon groups of, of Greek people before they'd done anything other than make a step or a profession of faith. And so there were some that were like overjoyed because it's like, wow, God is showing that what really matters is that we would be saved by faith, not by what we do. And yet there was a, a, a loud but small contingent of believers who was insisting that in order to be saved, you needed to be, men needed to be circumcised and you needed to keep the Jewish ritual law observance. And if you did not, salvation was not there. And so that kind of comes to the, the, the forefront. We're going to be camping a little bit today uh, on salvation by grace through faith and what that means to us today specifically as was decided in the Jerusalem Council and, and how, we, how this affects us going forward. Um, when I start talking about theology, it's possible that some of you get super excited and others of you kind of glaze over. You think, oh, this is going to be boring. Or, oh, yes, we finally get to talk about what we think about God. Everyone has a theology. Everyone has a belief or understanding about what it takes to interact with and have relationship with God. That's Louis' badly misquoted uh, version of what theology is. It's, it's our understanding of God and how we have relationship with him and what it takes to have relationship with him. And for some, it's very complex. For others, it's very simple. We believe and then we receive. Uh, the whole point of today is not to try and, and make it so that it's one way or the other. The point of today is that hopefully you would understand that God wants you to grow in your understanding of him and that he has done the hard work in removing the obstacles that would keep you from being able to come to him. And that even if or even when you have sinned or you've done wrong, it does not separate you from God because of what Jesus has done. But because of God's grace, we can lean into him for forgiveness and also walk forward clean, whole, made right with God. So 
our standing with God is much less tenuous than we would often imagine, and our standing with God is not determined at all by what it is that we do on, you know, kind of our own behalf to try and earn that. So hopefully that's where we end up today. So as the, these uh, early church fathers and mothers are wrestling with this idea of how, would, how do we receive salvation, the, the two of the rabble-rousers are Paul and Barnabas. We look at Acts chapter 13 and 14 to see their story where they traveled and they would go to the, the Jewish synagogue and they would preach the gospel to the Jewish people who were there and some would receive. And if, it, inevitably, when people would uh, kind of kick them out and tell them, we don't want to hear this anymore, they would go to uh, a group of non-Jewish people and they would share the message of the gospel. And inevitably, the non-Jewish people responded with great fervor, with great excitement, and receive the gospel good news, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all without ever having to conform to the Jewish law. And so Paul and Barnabas are creating their theology, or having their, let me put it this way, they're having their theology shaped by their experiences. I want to tell you that there's going to be times where you will run into things that will violate your understanding of what God is and, who he, and what he does. We do not live 100% according to an experienced theology, but we need to allow our theology to be informed by what it is we're experiencing. Those Jewish people, Jewish believers, who were having the biggest problem with the Greeks coming to Christ were the ones who were not allowing God himself to inform their understanding of what God wants and what he does. So God himself is pouring out his Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and all the Gentiles in the house. It's not just because somebody tried to make something happen. It was God himself did this supernaturally made this happen. It stands to reason that if God is doing something supernaturally, we may need to go back to the drawing board and say, some of the things I thought I knew, I don't know as well as I did. Does that make sense? It's important. And it's easy to look at them and say, well, those guys are silly. I can't believe they didn't come to that. We have our own traditions of the elders that we hold on to. I can't tell you what they are, but you'll usually be able to tell because you'll get upset about it. You'll get bothered. You'll think that's not right. It's fun because one of the things I like to point out is when we receive communion, we receive them in special silver trays with these little tiny custom-made plastic cups with the finest Welch's grape juice inside. And then these crackers that unless you break them, they're the size of a silver dollar. And you think, that's communion, right? When my dad was going to the Episcopal Church, they did not receive communion that way. They had one cup that everybody in the church shared. Hey, I'm going to go first. Who wants to share with Louis today? You start quoting Mark 16, I know poison thing will enter my, you know. It's different. And I, I've heard, I've had people come up, you, you may see the, the swarms, I call them grandkids, but we, the swarms that kind of descend upon the communion trays if they're still out after church, where they start coming in and they start pounding them like they're getting paid money to how many cups they can put down. You've, ever, you've seen this before. And I've had people say, I can't believe they're so sacrilegious. And it's like, well, we don't believe that the bread and the and the cup turns into Jesus' body and blood. That's, that's more of a, a traditional Catholic belief. 
we do believe that Jesus is present. And what we also believe when we're done with this, if there's leftovers, that they either get tossed out or we feed them to the hordes. Okay? If it was wine, it would be a different story. But for some, that be, that's their tradition of the elders. That the whole, I just can't believe you guys do that. And so I just wanted to illustrate one small thing that can, uh, we look at other people's stuff and say, I can't believe they do that. And yet there's times we do the exact same thing with what we're familiar with, with what we like. But our way is Jesus' way, right? Amen. We all said amen. God said 10.30 is the time that church will start. Never ever church service start any other time than that, right? So it's easy to find the, the log or the speck in other people's eye. But before we can do that, we're invited to take a look at the log that's in ours and to remove it. We're going to start in Acts chapter 15, and we're going to go through verse 21 eventually. Here we go. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So, since we believe that, Peter's testimony is sharing this. He identifies something that was a significant issue for the early church. We can't keep the law well enough to walk with God. And yet we're expecting the non-Jewish people to try to keep the law, even though we couldn't. And we've been given a way to not have to keep the law in its entirety because Jesus kept the law. And he atones for our not keeping the law through his death on the cross. And if we believe in his atonement and receive that for ourselves, why are we not willing to extend that same atonement to the Gentiles? What we don't get into here is very easily and several times addressed in other places, it's because the Jews didn't want the Gentiles to be saved. Why? Because they were they. They were other. Who's your other? Who are the people that if you heard they were coming to know Jesus, it would bother you? We want Jesus to come to the people who we like. Who are our, our others? One of my favorite theologians is a Christian musician and filmmaker named Steve Taylor. And he wrote a song. It's a, on the, uh, the album that came out. I think it's the, I think it was called Jesus is for Losers. And the whole point of Jesus is for Losers is the people who are at the end of their rope recognize their great need for, for forgiveness and recognize their great need for salvation. And it's often us within the Christian church that would, in some ways, deny people access to that because they're so bad. There's a ministry 
called Triple X Church. And like their name might uh, suggest, they go to uh, pornography conventions to interact with the, the pornography uh, makers and also the people who star in the movies. They have a, a booth where they offer Bibles, they offer prayer, and they will just interact with people. And they've been doing this for a, a, more than a decade. And it's interesting, the response that they get from both the people who are involved in the adult film industry, and I use that term very lightly, and also the people who are involved in the church. As though somehow, some way, Jesus and the grace that he offers is diminished by extending it to people who recognize their great need for it the most. Like those, I can't believe you'd do that. There's times in Scripture where there's a woman who's been forgiven many things by Jesus and she has expended a great deal of money to buy a special perfumed oil and she cracks it open and she pours it out upon Jesus' feet and she washes Jesus' feet with the oil and with her hair. And the religious man whose home that they're in leans over to one of his buddies and says, I can't believe he's letting her touch his feet. Does he have no idea what kind of woman that is? And Jesus says, hey, you know that when I came into your house, you didn't even offer me the most common point of hospitality, which was to have my feet washed. And yet this woman has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in here. Don't you know that what she has done, because it's such a great thing, will be repeated for all time, for all people who ever come to know me to hear? He was making an illustration out of something that was attempted to be an afterthought. I can't believe it let somebody like that in. When I was a uh, high school student, there were stories of a man named Jeffrey Dahmer that came to, came to light. Jeffrey Dahmer was a man very disturbed who came to, into the news that he had been preying upon young men, killing them, and uh, even eating them. He got arrested. He got put in prison. That was the appropriate penalty for what he'd done. And he experienced great persecution and constant beatings in prison because uh, within the ranks of criminals, he was considered to be among the lowest. One of the things we don't hear about a lot is that Jeffrey Dahmer was killed in prison by one of his fellow inmates. What we also don't hear is that he was befriended by a pastor that kept going to visit and who introduced him to the message of the gospel that was available by grace through faith to all who would believe and call upon the name of Jesus. He did not deserve salvation, but then neither do we. We can see how, how it's, it's like, I can't believe a guy like that would, be, would come to salvation. He did. There are stories of the, the testimony of his life turning around and transforming as much as it can be done in the confines of prison to where though he was caught in, in prison in the, in the worst of the worst, he says, I'm still free because of Jesus. And yet, we can have revulsion thinking about people like that are going to be in heaven. It's funny when you start getting into the idea of songs like 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved such a great dude like me. A wretch. A lovable wretch. No, we, we want to qualify ourselves. I'm not like that. Inevitably, we pick something as bad as we can find and put it out. Oh, I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm not like that kind of sinner. All this is not in my notes. I don't know why we're going down this road. But it very well may be that you have put yourself in a spot where you are an other for yourself. And because of who you are and what you've done or what's been done to you, you've never been able to really grasp the idea and the reality that Jesus died for you as well. And that by simply, through His grace, by faith, you can come into relationship with Him and that it's not shaken by you living shakily, walking forward, trying to follow after Him, stumbling and mumbling and rumbling. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Paul takes what Peter just talked about and takes it up a notch. says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace through faith. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. He communicates and confirms Peter's declaration. We're not saved according to our works, which is what the Jewish believers were trying to push forward. We're saved by doing good. We're saved by the rituals of Moses. We're saved through the physical act of circumcision. We're saved through going to church every week. We're saved through making sure we're baptized. We're saved through making sure we're giving tithes and offerings. We're saved through fill in the blank. What are your, what's your evidence that you will point to that says, yeah, this is why I'm saved. This is why I have a relationship with God. What happens if at some point you're not able to go to church every week? What happens if you stumble? What happens if you make decisions that you would regret and end up sowing areas of sin into your life? What happens if what you base your relationship with Jesus on is taken away? How are you saved? There's some who would say, well, if that happens, you were never saved at all. I believe Scripture is very uh, uh, kind of ubiquitous. It's kind of, I was going to say it's very clear, but it's, it's very challenging on this because there's times you read on it and it says, if a person slips away, can they be restored to Christ? What about the people who've been gone for years and who end up coming back to him? Or what about the people who, it seems like they walk with Jesus for a long period of time and then they abandon and never do come back? Which is which? We don't have to be the ones that make the call. Too often, as Christian people, we are tempted to have to make a final declaration on who's saved and who's not saved. When we're in heaven, 
all you firstborns, me included, when it's time to read from the book of life, Jesus isn't going to say, okay, guys, I need some help now. Who's going to come help me with this? Okay, well, the first one, I'd like to be able to give my two, my two cents on this. My younger brother, I'm not quite sure. He needs to work on his salvation and stuff. If there, I don't know if there's a, I don't believe there's a purgatory, but if there was, could you please give it to him? I just, I'm, I care about his soul. That's all it is. No, God's the one who makes the final call. I mean, am I right? Firstborn, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. We want God's justice for everybody but us. Especially not us. God's the one who makes the call. And if we don't have to be the one who makes the call on who gets in and who doesn't, our goal is to live with the understanding that God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Our goal is to be carrying out the message of salvation, which is that by grace we are saved, not by a work so that none can boast. It's by encouraging people to put their trust and hope and faith into Jesus Christ, knowing that their sins can be forgiven, not just the one that happened before Christ. I can't tell you how many people I know who are believers who have been shipwrecked in their faith because they have stumbled or sinned greatly or marginally after becoming Christians and have been told, if you continue to sin after you have become a Christian, you are not a Christian at all. I can tell you this. I've been a Christian since I was about three years old. Prayed the prayer with my mom on Easter. That's like as valid as it gets. That's a joke. You can laugh at that. But she verifies it. And you might not believe me, but my mom, nobody's going to speak against my mom. But there have been times I have sinned. It's true. Let me tell you about a few of them. No. No. In, but, and you, most of the worst sins that I've done have been self-righteousness and judgment and unforgiveness and the things that we'd be like, well, that's, that's actually kind of a, a virtue at times. Within the church, little c, of all the biblical characters, I love how people say, I, I, I like Peter, or I like Stephen. It's like, I'm kind of like the Pharisees a lot. Jesus upsets my sense of propriety at times. He confronts my clinical faith. And he spits in the dirt and rubs it in my eyes. This morning, I was meeting with a group of people who were planning our, uh, had our first meeting to plan our Good Friday service. And I was confronted by a thought I'd never had before, and that is, is we're talking about what senses do we experience when we think about our relationship with Jesus. And I immediately was taken to a, a hospital room. And the smell of, of alcohol swabs fills the room. And it's antiseptic, and it's hyper clean, and it's like sterile. And there's no life there. And I'm confronted with the earthiness and the the approachability of Jesus as he comes to me not when I have everything dialed in not when everything is okay but he comes to me in my mess he reaches to me and brings me to him salvation is recognizing that there is a chasm between us and God 
that no matter how much we work or try, we can never broach it. We can never cross it. We will never be good enough. We've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, whether by an inch or by a mile. But Jesus, God who became flesh, reaches across that chasm and draws us to himself and saves us by his grace. Grace is a really fun word that means God's goodwill, his loving kindness, his favor, the merciful kindness of God that stirs us to walk doing good in Jesus' name. That which transforms us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God reaches us in grace and draws us to himself. And all we have to do is put our hope and our trust and our faith in him. And we will receive his grace. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. May that be the thing we focus on. Not on how perfect someone's theology is. Because let me tell you, as much as we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to know how, how we're rightly dividing the God's word, God, the word of truth. We are going to find out when we get to heaven that we were way off in certain things. If I could tell you what they are, I would fix it. And there's no church on earth that's got the theology that's dialed in. They are perfect. We're going to get up to heaven and be like, man, we were way off. And Jesus is like, yeah, you guys made messes. And he's not going to be mad about it. Because what he'd rather see happen is imperfect people declaring a message of reconciliation to imperfect people and giving them the hand that was given to them and pulling that up. And the church at Jerusalem is deciding for all time, we're not going to allow religiousness to keep people out simply because they don't meet our standard. Because honestly, we don't meet other people's standard either. It's really fun to me to, to see and to hear that the church, people talk about the church is, is shrinking. Christian church is shrinking in the U.S., it's shrinking in Europe, and yet it's booming worldwide. There's a whole lot of people in Africa, a whole lot of people in South America and Central America, a whole lot of people in the Far East, a whole lot of people in the Middle East that are coming to Christ. And when we get to heaven, if you've ever thought that, you know, like America's leading the way when it comes to salvation, and it's like we're the leaders of the church, you're going to be surprised when we get to heaven. I don't know that when we get there, God will say buenos dias to us, but I wouldn't be surprised. We have so many brothers and sisters that are different than us but are still calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And if we start to th raise ourselves up like somehow we're exceptional, we will miss on the brotherhood and sisterhood we have with people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, creed, color, language, all over. May we focus on and emphasize that as our main thing. I'm going to stop there. I have many more things to say in the notes, but I had a professor in uh, my communications uh, capstone that I was doing at the university, and he said, when you're done talking, it doesn't matter what else is in your notes. Sometimes you just got to know when to stop. 
So sometimes the worst sin you can do is to keep going to make sure everything gets covered. It's better sometimes just to stop. So we're going to stop right there. And I ask for your grace as we do that. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your grace, which is enough. It is sufficient for us in our weakness. I thank you for the grace you've given me this morning to be able to talk for this long without coffin. I thank you for the grace you've extended to us by extending your arm to us to draw us out of our, our muck, out of our wretchedness into your life. I thank you, Lord, that as we've received that, you've also told us to freely give and to extend that to others. May we be driven by a desire to see people come to know you. May we relentlessly pursue you and invite others to come with us in Jesus' name. With nobody looking around, I want to give you a chance. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus to do so, he said anybody who calls upon his name would be saved. And then what we do from that point, we walk with him each day. If you want to start with Jesus today, I just want to invite you to lift up your hand, saying, that's me. I want to start with him. I want to walk with him today. If I miss you, wave at me. I don't want to miss you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If uh, you raised your hand or you would like to find out more about what it takes to follow in a relationship with God, we have yes packets at the Connect and Grow Counter. I would love for you to grab those. All right, I'm going to speak a blessing. <clears throat> Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And number six, may Jesus bless you and keep you. May Jesus make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face towards you and give you peace today. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I pray and thank you that your Holy Spirit brings things to light in us and has um, brought something to each one of us that we're going to take away today. Lord, let it grow in us. Let your love grow in us. Lord, thank you for our church family and all that have prepared um, for our family feast, that have been back with our kids. Lord, I um, pray that this time together of eating will be of sweet fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number four, dot org.